Welcome to this service of praise and worship at Kern. Those of you who are regulars around here know that I might say at this point, good morning, my name is not Will, and I am not the pastor of this church. Will called me about an hour ago, and he has COVID this morning. So, uh, extra prayers for that family. So, I'm going to try and pinch hit this morning. I have to share this with you because this is very comical and part of the situation this morning. I talked to Will when he called, and you can imagine the things we discussed and all the possibilities, but Will said when I told him, okay, I'm going to wing it. I've got some notes that were going to be next week's sermon. We'll see what I can do with that. And he said, oh, great. I didn't know what I was going to do if you'd said no. I guess my next call would have been to Jesus. So that's some pressure for all of us today. (laughs) I could start by, how's your day going? And we could just see how that works out. But ultimately, each of you know this, and I know this certainly, that none of us are in charge. God is in charge. This is our worship time, so we will worship anyway. And we will do well at it because God wants us to. So let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we give thanks today for this day, for the fellowship in your sight, for the opportunity to worship in this place. Father, we ask your special touch on Pastor Will's family this morning and for many others that hurt within our church family. We we know that you've got them, but Father, lead us, inspire us, have your spirit take us to where we need to be, to be your hands and feet. Father, thank you for so many opportunities, but mostly for your love and grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 21. It is the lectionary scripture reading for next week. I am a lectionary boy and I like to do that, but uh, this is what short-term planning looks like. This is from Matthew 21 beginning in verse 33 through 41. This is about uh, one of the many parables of Jesus uh, about the seed of His church on earth. If you were to hear this parable, there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that he might receive its fruit. There's another one about the power in a tiny, tiny mustard seed and the mystery that goes with that. And there's the one we just read about the seed of God's church on earth. So I'm going to try and dig in on that one a little bit and see if we can pare away the symbolism and find something in our lives for today to work with. Now we're told, and I think it's fair to assume, that the landowner here in this story And I want you to think of that synonymously with God. Metaphorically, that's who Jesus is talking about. The landowner is God in this story. We're told that the landowner has invested a great, great deal of success in his vineyard. The seed of his church on earth. He's invested his creative energy and his emotional capital We call those things love today. He's invested those things in creating this vineyard from a desert wasteland. To use the term Genesis highlights in creation, 
He's created it from chaos. There is nothing resembling a vineyard. We're going to create a vineyard there. Moreover, this landowner has selected the perfect location for this vineyard. The promised land. And he's assured this place will have sufficient rain and soil, sunshine, think, opportunity, information, leadership, the Spirit, to give this vineyard every chance it needs to succeed. Every chance it needs. And not only has he done those things, he has chosen the very perfect seed put in the ground. This seed that comes with His every blessing, His every lesson, His very hand. What else could you need? So besides the fact that He has put His creative energy into it, He's located it in a particular place and He's seeded it with the very best stuff, the details in the text we just read this morning say He also built a hedge around it. Built a watchtower. He's trying to conceal and hide and protect this fledgling thing, the church on earth, until it matures, until it becomes this, this wine, this stuff, this whatever it is he wants from this field. And he's reached for all the possibilities. So, beyond that service, he reaches for, oh no, I, I, I don't even know how to defend this exactly, but he's made these arrangements and I feel like if you're pulled into the story, you're pulling for the success of the vineyard. You're pulling for the landlord. But he decides he needs to leave. He leaves his beloved vineyard and he goes away to what the text says is a far country. Don't know where he goes or why, but we know that his absence necessarily, boy, that was easy to say. I'm going all the way back to the kitchen. I'm doing dishes again. It necessitates that he lease the field, the care and operation of this field, to the vine dressers. To lease here in this context, I think, especially, means that a provisional Relationship has been established. If you will run and operate the field according to my specifications, then I will take care of you from the bounty of that field. If you, then I. That's the provisional relationship here. We tend to think of that as a kind of profit sharing. But remember when Matthew wrote, approximately 55 or 60 AD, when Matthew wrote, what this really is, is an opportunity to learn the business. It's akin to an apprenticeship. And each of those that are offered this opportunity know that they can learn some skills, get some experience that matters, grow themselves into opportunity, possibility, responsibility, get on the boss's good side. Maybe he will even give them pieces of the field in the future. However you think about that, also hear that there's an opportunity from these he would lease the land to, to say, no thanks. 
They can turn that down. But they didn't. They said, sure, we're going to do that. And I don't think it takes very much imagination to get from that leap to more symbolism here. The symbolism of the Mosaic Covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. So, he's provided all these things and he set up the field and he's going to further support what goes on there. And so, from this location of the far country, he sends servants of all kinds. Symbolically, we're talking about priests, we're talking about preachers, teachers, we're talking about healers and helpers, we're talking about those gifted with every conceivable talent necessary for the function of this vineyard, for the function of the church in its fledgling state, its state on earth. And he sent all these people. And once again, sent. Each of these people has been asked to leave where they are, this far country, and go into service for the landowner. In the act of being sent, they become exiles of sorts, right? Sent away from their homeland, perhaps not entirely of their own choice and decision making, perhaps a little against their understanding and will, to an assignment that doesn't directly make sense to them. Exiles. But what's required of them is to do their best, try and please the boss, and trust him for the process and for the way home. Does it help to remember that the purpose of this parable, according to Jesus anyway, You've heard all this symbolism, but Jesus says it's about the kingdom of God. Those who would recognize it and those who would find their way back to it. Does it help in how you think about this parable to recognize that you are the servants that have been sent? If you think about it in the context of the story, the landowner commissions servants. God creates servants. You and me. And He sends us. And He sends us to do His will. And it's a tough assignment. It's not necessarily easy. Christianity does not claim easy. It claims forgiven and it claims that there's help. So, the vine dressers when the servants start coming, clearly they see what's happening. That the landowner doesn't think things are quite right. The landowner thinks it's harvest time is approaching. Maybe the vine dressers aren't so sure. Maybe the vine dressers want it for themselves. But they recognize the servants coming. The text tells us, oh, here come the servants. Let's kill them. And it says that they harass them, they stone them, they beat them, and they kill them. The text also says that the landowner sends more servants. And the same happens to them, to those servants. So here, I think this is hard for me, and I assume it's hard for you too, 
that the landowner, God, knows what's going on. But he does not immediately, anyway, immediately attempt to prosecute the wrongdoing here. And that's not lack of knowledge. Or that's not lack of concern. That's about the real agenda. And the best example I know to share with you, to offer to you, also comes from Matthew today. You remember the story when John the Baptist is arrested and he's put in prison and he's sort of rotting there when he thinks he needs to be out spreading the Word, bringing people to Jesus. And he's so frustrated with his situation, I think he fully expects to die in that jail. And he can't understand why Jesus is not using his Messiahship, his power to call down angels to whatever it could be to get him out of prison so he can do the work he perceives as his. And John even sends his own disciples to Jesus to ask the question, are you the one? Or should we look for another? And the answer Jesus provides is what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus tells the disciples of John, go back and tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, and the kingdom of God is being inaugurated. That's the agenda. John gets to hear, you're a servant, you're my servant, I love you and you're mine, and nothing can change that. But sometimes the agenda is not yours. The agenda is somewhere else. So according to the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus spent His final weeks on earth preaching about heaven and hell and the consequences of decisions that we make. The landowner had to go away to a far country. He had to be somewhere a little bit out of sight because He had to give us a chance like those grade school teachers to develop discipline develop self-reliance, to develop the bending of our will, to be able to depend in an appropriate way. Not because that's a punishment of some kind, but because that's how the kingdom of God works. Those are the skills you need to function there, to be happy there, to find peace there. That is the agenda of God for each of us. Some of us will have hard roads in that. But don't despair in that because others have been there before. Can you see in your mind's eye maybe that this far country that the landowner had to go to is really the recesses of your heart? It's not really so far, but it seems so far because we see so poorly We are terrible at self-inspection. We are terrible at challenging ourselves. It's always someone else. Their fault, their problem, their issue. The far country is our heart. And our exileness, our state of being sent away, is to find our way back to our true heart. That that God would prepare for us. Our work in that field is just an opportunity to trust 
the landowner to trust God for the process, to trust Him for the way back. Because what we get out of it is not what we are paid or how we were rewarded, but it's what we become in the process. I want to offer a particular thought before our final music. Maybe this is the challenge for the week. I'm not sure what to call that. You're probably wondering about the vine dressers. The miscreants that tried to serve the landowner but decided to do something else. What became of them? I told you that there was delayed action, delayed prosecution from the landowner, from God. But the answer is we don't know yet because that story is still being written. That story is your story, my story. So remember that as you go about your day, your week, your thoughts. And sometimes there'll be things that happen to you and you feel like you're the servant that's being frustrated and beaten and your resources are being used for something you hadn't planned. But it's the landowner, God, that's wanting you to trust Him for the process home to become the person you were meant to be. Now, if you would, please lift your eyes for the benediction. Now may the most excellent grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with each of you now and always, helping you to become the people you were meant to be and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.